0: You know, Franchin's a great fighter, you know, and she's definitely Savannah definitely does not think this is going to be a walk in the park, you know, because she is a good fighter. You know, all them belts and all that over there for nothing. So it's, uh, I see it being a a great fight. This and the type of styles as well, the no nonsense two fighters. I think the super middleweight suits Savannah better because she's more comfortable at that weight. You know, so I see it as a. What I'm very pleased about is, uh, one, that Franschen's come over here as a unified world champion, she needs maximum credit. And the second thing is, for women's boxing, it's on a real another level because we've got no, oh hang on a minute, I don't want to fight you, I might, might get more money next time, or I don't want to do this, don't want to do that. What? He said it was Guy Sports. Who did? Ben Shalom That Deontay Wilder against Martin Boccoli. Okay. Well, when I'm in Saudi Arabia next week talking about the biggest fight in history, I'll mention Martin Boccoli to him. See if they're rotary. Martin, Martin Bacoli's a good fighter. You, you made that statement about Martin Bacoli the other day saying that Wilder should fight him next and you obviously would have seen the response from a lot of boxing people and uh, basically almost taking the piss out, you know, your, your comments and having a laugh about it. But what I want to ask you, Ben, is was that you being serious or was that you just trying to promote your guy and getting his name out there? Look, I think it's our job to make noise for Martin Bacoli and it certainly happened and his name's not been talked about, it's been talked about since and he had a great week in terms of numbers out there. Look, from a business perspective, of course, Deontay Wilder's not going to choose to fight Martin Bacoli. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where, unlike Arsenal, man, in fact, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there, right? I'm just not, I'm, I'm not over it, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I took the loss to Man City pretty badly. And I, look, I went back and forth on Twitter with people and people say, oh, thank God he only tweets about boxing. You know, I've got a middle finger to all of these guys because how how dare you, number one, how dare you? Like, y'all don't understand my pedigree in the game of football. They don't understand my knowledge of the game of football. I'll run rings around most of you guys because I've put my years in. I've put my work in. So, I mean, this idea that Oh old, old Stella drinking or Cronenberg drinking Derek is somehow some kind of football genius, and uh, just stop, man. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't play anymore, but football's a pretty easy game to understand if you've played before, and no, I haven't played at a high level. But here's something I do know: I do know mentality, and I do know culture and I do know spirit, and I, all, all those sort of intangible things I do know. Because to an extent, I've had them. And when I coach people, I try and instill those. What I saw from Arsenal was a team that was mentally weak. What I see in Mikel Arteta is a manager who's mentally weak. And if someone says, what do you base that on? You never saw Arteta impose himself on any game of football in his whole career. Arteta was always, um, what do you call it, the lieutenant. He was always a guy who was just a bits and pieces guy. Get the ball, give it to someone else. How the hell he was made Arsenal captain, I don't know, and it still makes me sick to this day. I want to be brutally honest, it makes me sick. Um, How he's become Arsenal manager, I have no idea. But essentially, being Pep's downgrade on Brian Kidd, he's managed to forge himself a career as an Arsenal manager. He doesn't deserve it. I'm sick of these ex-players being given plum roles without having earned it. He hasn't proved himself anywhere. He he hadn't won anything. And so as an Arsenal fan, people tell me, would you have taken second place at the beginning of the season? No. I was one of the people. I said either Arsenal or Newcastle to win the league. I've got text messages to back it up. And it goes like this. Our big clubs always run long into the league. Right? City and Liverpool are there or thereabouts. United kind of get there, and then these guys run deep into the League Cup, deep into the FA Cup, deep into the European competitions. So most of the top teams, their guys are playing in excess of 50 games a season. You go from that into a shortened pre-season because of the World Cup, so your season has to start a little bit earlier than normal to accommodate the World Cup, and you run straight through into the World Cup. So by the end of the World Cup, the top teams, guys, are cooked. Arsenal players didn't have the same mileage. And if someone wants to go and check this on Opta or wherever you want to check, how many minutes had each Arsenal player played versus Man City? How many minutes had those City players played in the 12 months from January to the end of December? How many minutes had they played? Those Arsenal guys were relatively fresh. This is the season we should have won it. We will never have it again because next season we got to play in the Champions League and we're not going to be able to cope with that and the league. So this was our chance to win the league. We were ahead. Here's the issue I have with all of this, and I'm not going to talk too much about football because you haven't signed up for this, but here's the thing that will irritate me. We were ahead. It was in our own destiny and we lost it to teams we were better than. And you only lose to teams, you're better than, if no one's driving the standards internally. And no one can show me a player at Arsenal who drives those standards. Arteta's a weak man, He was a weak man as a footballer, weak man as a manager. His captain, Martin Odegaard, was a weak man as a young footballer, is a weak man now. Couldn't hack it. At any other club apart from Arsenal. Because Arsenal is the only club that tolerates mediocrity. No other club would have kept Granit Xhaka as long as they've kept him. Look at Ten Hag. The minute he didn't like Ronaldo, I mean, Ronaldo was on borrowed time. Um, Xhaka survived. <laughs> he survived everybody. By, the, by, by hook or by crook, he survived. So I'll just say this. I don't believe those Arsenal players are generally bottlers. I think in other teams, they'd be better performers. I just think in Arteta's world... You're always going to be a bottler because he encourages it and he lets you know it's okay to be a bottler. Now, if you've listened this far, congratulations. Watch the segue. The reason I brought all of that up is I want to talk about Tank versus Ryan Garcia through a similar lens because Tank versus Ryan was like Arsenal versus Man City. Ryan Garcia is a young kid, loads of potential, everything looks good. Everything sounds good. Look at his views on YouTube. Look at his relationships with the Paul brothers. Look at all the stuff he's done on Instagram. All the viral stuff he's done. That's turned him into the darling of Gen Z, as they like to say. All of that stuff, fantastic. British fans understand what he did to Luke Campbell. Devastating body shot that chopped him down. In contrast, he's fighting a guy in Javante Tank Davis, who's been there and done it has coped with the pressure, knows what pressure is, has known what pressure is from, from a young age because Mayweather's been saying this guy's the future and he's delivered. You know, people say he hasn't won the big one just yet. Just like Manchester City, there are still questions about is he really that great and he needs that signature win for him to be great, much like Man City until they win the Champions League. What do you What, what do you say about Pep? It'll be interesting to see where that goes, but... Just to roll it all the way back. You, so you had a similar thing. You had a tried and tested championship warrior in Tank Davis against the young, flashy, bright young thing that everyone likes because it looks and sounds right, but there's no substance behind it. And so as you watched that fight, you saw the difference between style and substance. I'm not going to say Tank pitched a shutout, but it felt a bit like a three or four nil, didn't it, in, the, in 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 boxing terms? And that's one of the reasons that this Arsenal thing sits in my head because you can't manufacture mentality. Go back and watch the fight, or don't even watch the fight. Watch the highlights. Look at how intently Tank observes Ryan. His gaze doesn't deviate. The number of times Ryan's head and his eyes are shifting and He doesn't feel confident. You can see he doesn't believe in who and what he is. Because as soon as he jumped in the ring with the real one, he realized that there's a level that he hasn't quite ascended to yet. And Tank has shown him that. Now, what Ryan does from there is entirely up to him. I hope he uses that to grow and to realize that actually, you may have all the flashy technical stuff, but you don't have the fundamentals. And the most important fundamental a boxer has is concentration. You've heard me say it on the pod before. Next time you're in a boxing gym, or if, do you not know forget it, anywhere, BXR, any of those other champagne gyms, right? You know, the, the ones with the, with the nice towels and stuff that <laughs> they're trying to soften up a tough sport. Like, oh yeah, you can, you can really show how tough you are and then you can get a mani-pedi when you're done. Great. But all of those guys, just watch them. You've got 180 seconds per round. How many of those guys can stay in that moment, stay at that level of intensity for 180 seconds? Watch what happens. A guy will hit the bag five or six times, take a step back, admire his own work, and then he has to reset, recharge and reset to go again. The best boxers don't. They can visualize every scenario in their head and they're working through that for three minutes to the point where most of them don't hear the bell. That's what I look for. I don't, all the other stuff, your, your skill, your technique, stamina, that can all be trained. That concentration, only you can train that yourself. Mindset, only you can train that. That hunger and that concentration is something a lot of British boxers don't have. And if you don't believe me, next time you're in a, in a show or next time you're watching a show on TV, I should say, just pause for a second and go, let me see how they're concentrating. And you you will find every round, most boxers have a couple of big resets where they just go, "I, I need to get my head together. And then you'll find the top guys, the guys who sort of shoot past British level, they don't. They're in that zone for 180 seconds. Forget skill level, that mindset, they can hold it for 180 seconds, rest for a minute bring it back for 180 seconds and that's what makes him unique that's what made Tank unique and that's what Ryan Garcia has got to get the other thing I didn't like in the aftermath of it was how quick people were there to go yeah I know Tank won but he'd lose to Shakur he'd lose to Devin when I see stuff like that it reminds me that there are two very big camps amongst boxing fans there's a masculine element of boxing and there's a feminine element of boxing And it's not to do with gender, by the way. It's more about the energy you project. Masculine energy. Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia, both very, very tough men. Both very accomplished amateur boxers. Put their lives into the sport. They fought each other. There was a winner. There was a loser. This is what we want as fans. We want these guys who do something we can't do, by the way. We want these guys to keep fighting each other for our entertainment. So every time that they do something like this, I'm going to congratulate them and say, well done, guys, you've done well. There's a winner, there's a loser, but you can always come back because you're at this level. That's the masculine side of the sport, the kind of, it is what it is, well done, guys. The feminine element of the sport wants to be permanently scared. I'll give you an example. Anthony Joshua beats uh, Takam. Yeah, Joseph Parker would batter him. Joseph Parker's too big, too tough. Joshua beats Parker. Yeah, Wilder will knock him into next week. Yeah, I think Pulev stands a chance. And there's always a... I'm finding ways to shoot Joshua down. I'm finding ways to shoot Fury down. I'm finding ways to shoot Wilder down. Because I like being permanently scared. I need a bad guy in my life to feel scared because that's where I feel comfortable. That's how I show my submission in life, by being that way. If you're one of those people whose first thought is, who can beat this guy? You're on the feminine side of the line. And it's sad, because what do we want in boxing? We want the best to fight the best. We want people to take risks. We're tired of padded records. But you see, that feminine energy amongst boxing fans is what encourages padded records, because you're like, What's the point in losing when these idiots are just going to jump all over it? And it's a paradox, right? I have no idea how many fights Nate Diaz has won. I know for a fact Nate Diaz has lost a ton of fights in the UFC. Do I care? No. I want to see Nate Diaz fight again. I think he's, he's value in the build-up. I think he's value in the octagon. Let him do his thing. I don't know how many times Conor McGregor's lost. Let him fight again. And UFC fans are far more tolerant to defeat than boxing fans. That needs to change. We need to be unbelievably tolerant of defeat. Otherwise, these guys won't fight each other. And we should be we should all be challenging that feminine energy. That idea that I'm gonna argue with you over two people I don't know because I want one of these guys to lose. And then when he loses, then what? What are you gonna say? See, I told you he'd lose okay cool now what now what yeah I, I told you he'd lose you don't get prizes you don't get prizes you don't get a pat on the back you don't get a match from t-shirt nothing We you're going to do bookmark the tweet and go see I told you on that day I was right yay yeah, yeah. that feminine energy needs to go from boxing because I feel that was the only dampener on what was a good Saturday for boxing you know we, we give DAZN a very hard time, and we expect a lot from DAZN because they said they had a billion to spend. But DAZN delivered that night. And the commercial performance seems to indicate that. They're saying 1.2 million across all platforms. So even if you accept the matchroom number of $60 for that pay-per-view on top of your subscription, that's a ton of money. That's a ton of money that Tank and Ryan have generated and that's what super fights do they generate money I'm hoping the guys at DAZN see this and go why aren't we doing this more often give me a list of potential super fights and you can just draw one up and go how many of these can we make make them that's what DAZN should be doing now I'd love to see that because Tank versus Ryan yeah the noise started in December they said we'll fight in April they fought in April that's amazing. Meanwhile, Joshua's telling us he's going to fight in December. We don't even know who he's going to fight in December. We don't. Those guys knew. They knew exactly who they were going to fight. And they trained for it. Prepared for it. And we got what we got. And we should just... G- I love that. I loved everything about that night. I loved Tank coming out. <laughs> I can't remember who we had rapping with him. But just seeing Tank... Just... just <laughs> Just nodding and just having a little dance himself. All those little details, big game player. Knew how to stay in the moment. Um, you know, the Mayweather bond, the praise. Um, I don't know if Mayweather passed the torch per se, but you can see Tank is the guy that Mayweather looks at and goes, You're what boxing needs. And I always contrast that with Devin Haney because you've never seen Floyd get behind Devin Haney like this before. So I look at the Floyd Devin relationship as Floyd probably likes his style, but Devin's a good guy. He's a good, going good Muslim brother. He's he's solid, right? Solid. No scandal, no drama, no no headlines. And I think Mayweather's savvy enough to realize that doesn't make money in boxing. Whereas Tank, all headlines, but when he zones out in camp, and some fighters need this, there's a clarity to his life, a discipline and a clarity to his life that helps him perform at a high level. And while Haney performed at a high level, I'm sure Haney's that dedicated, outside of the ring, outside of camp, there's, you don't get anything. He's not engaging, he's not particularly funny, he's serious about his sport, and that's okay. But, like I keep saying, look at the greats, the guys who really transcend the sport. You know, just even if you go back 50 years, Frazier, Ali, Foreman, Monzon, Duran, um... Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, all have an edge. Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, all have an edge. Even Larry Holmes had an edge. You remember the drop kick off the top of the car? These guys all had an edge, a visible public edge that fans could connect with because they want their bad guys to be, as Porky would say, rough, tough, and rugged. Nice guys we don't particularly like. And I think that's what's going to make it hard for Devin Haney. Um, I hope he wins against Loma because I think that's important but I think if you looked at top rank they'd rather Loma won that, I think they just see there being more upside in Loma winning than in Devin Haney winning It's just my opinion um, feel free to debate amongst yourselves if you want but I won't be debating that I just I don't see there being a lot of money in Devin Haney especially if he hasn't got belts but I see there being money in Tank without belts I see there being money in Ryan Garcia without belts and I see there being money in Teofimo Lopez without belts. On the subject of Teo, oh my God. I don't want to call it a fall from grace because he's a young guy, but his career's treading water already. So Teofimo Lopez, Jesus. He goes on, was it Punch Drunk or Punch? I can't even remember. Punch? Punch? P-U-N-S-H. Like, okay. Well, let's call it punch drunk, can't really say them differently. So well done for being needlessly clever. But he goes on there and he kinda lets some stuff off his chest. And I think broadly speaking, some of the most egregious stuff. Um he said, one thing I love about my sport is I I get to kill a guy and it's cool. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's one of the one of the statements he made. Um the other one was him talking about he dissed Andre Ward and Timothy Bradley, guys whose career he hasn't mirrored by any stretch of the imagination. Like he hasn't he hasn't built that kind of legacy where he can look at those guys as peers or equals or earn their respect. But to say you had a go at them points to a deep seated problem. And then what did he say? This is my last fight on ESPN. If they want the black fighters they can keep them. Okay. Um bit strange considering ESPN's run by top rank and I think top rank with the guy that like Crawford was trying to sue for being racist. But I'm not here to discuss the finer points of whether there's a race problem or not. I'm here to just talk about how do you become so bitter about a sport that you were the king of? Was it two years ago? You were the king. Teofimo Lopez beat Vasily Lomachenko, quite rightly beaten by the way. There's no debate that he won the fight. And you won virtually all the belts, but you were the man in the division because you beat the guy that was considered to be the man in the division. And you took his belts. And after that, you couldn't find the hunger and the discipline and the focus to beat George Cambosis. So if you think about what we talked about earlier with Ryan Garcia, this is why you got to respect tank. Tank hasn't had that kind of mishap. And he could have done with the lifestyle he leads outside the ring. It seems he has a desire to be the best. I don't think Teofimo Lopez did. I think Teofimo Lopez had a desire to beat Loma. And once he did that, something went from him. Because he said, I've, I've proved myself. And this is a problem you have when, you, when you're boxing to prove a point. At some point, if you're good enough, you'll prove that point. Then what? How do you fill that void? You can't. So you look at that. Lopez couldn't beat Kambosas. Lost his belts. And now you've got to move up to 140. Why? Because you couldn't make 135, but you were telling us you made 135 easily. That's the thing I don't understand. But I look at his career... And I look at the man he's going to face in June, Josh Taylor's career, and I'm like, how does it go so wrong so quick? Because since Taylor beat Lomachenko, he hasn't looked good. Who's he fought? Like Pedro Campo, uh, Sandro Martin, and now he's going to fight Josh Taylor. I'm sure I've missed one, but hasn't looked good in any of his fights. I don't know if that the power hasn't carried up, I don't know, but he hasn't looked good. Josh Taylor unified. But hasn't looked good since he left Shane. I thought the Ben Davidson experiment was a failure. And I always have to clarify this. When I say that about Ben Davison, I'm not a guy who's going to say Ben Davison's a bad trainer. Right? I understand how hard this game is. I understand what it takes to be competent at this game. And to stay in that position, the work that doesn't get seen, the, the stuff you do at home, the planning, the thinking, the, the measuring and understanding. All that stuff that Ben probably does in the shadows that he doesn't get credit for. I understand all of that. But Ben Davison is the right trainer for a certain kind of fighter. Josh Taylor's blood and thunder. And I don't think Ben Davison is that sort of character. And so, Josh didn't look good under Ben Davison because he tried to do all of that. Now, Josh has gone up to Joe McNally. I think... Joe's probably a better natural boxing brain because if you remember, Joe McNally was ABA finalist against James DeGale. So he's not a mug when it comes to this boxing thing. And he was just unlucky that injuries caught him. There was something about those Liverpool guys in the mid-2000s where they never seemed to, to make it. And I don't want to say that disrespectfully, but if you look at Joe McNally, hell of an amateur, there was a lot expected of Joe McNally. Right when he fought DeGale, people thought McNally would have a better career but that was mostly down to the fact that they thought he was more likeable um, now compare that with Joe Selkirk who was probably the weight class down but equally as well regarded and Joe Selkirk never never became the star that he should have done because in the amateurs Joe Selkirk was a monster him and McNally were monsters and they never quite did it in the pros but that combined intelligence, as I keep saying, down in Liverpool, I think would be good for Josh to be around there. I think Josh quite likes that kind of, that down-to-earth kind of, I call it that kind of, that Protestant stoicism and functionality. I'm sure that will work well for him. And hopefully they can bring out that seek-and-destroy Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor is not a, a box at range and keep things under control. That's not who he is. I mean, he's a guy who wants to stop you if he can. And so, let's just pause for a second and reflect on this. These guys were miles ahead of O'Hara Davis two years ago. But realistically, O'Hara Davis is going to fight one of these guys in the next 12 months. That shows you to what extent their careers have plateaued. Because Josh should have been knocking on the door to fight Crawford by now. By that Jack Cattrall fight, that Ben Davison masterclass derailed his career significantly. And now you wonder if he can get the momentum back. One of those two between Teofimo Lopez and Josh Taylor is not going to recover that former glory. But if you think about it, you're, you're looking at a guy in Josh Taylor who is without question undisputed at 140 or was undisputed at 140. So we, I don't bend to anyone when I say he's the best junior welterweight on the planet. Then you've got Teo, who at one point was the best at 135. These two are fighting each other, and it doesn't feel like a big fight. Mainly because none of them have given us a performance that's been electric enough to justify that. And it's a real shame, because this this could be a hell of a fight. If both guys show up on the day, it'd be an incredible fight. My money is still on Josh Taylor, because I don't think Teofimo Lopez has rediscovered the fire since he beat Lomachenko. I think he fell in love with all those belts, and he doesn't feel the same man without those belts. But that meltdown's shocking because if you leave ESPN, where are you going to go? You're not going to go to Al Heyman because, like I said, if you've got an issue with black fighters, PBC might not be the spot to go. So when you go to matchroom, okay, you go to matchroom to fight who? Dalton Smith? Okay. Who's he going to fight? Nobody. (laughs) There's nothing there for him, so I don't know what he's going to do, if I'm being honest with you. Because Matchroom don't have anyone. If I'm correct, Montana Love is really the guy that they have who's kind of top 10 in that division. Otherwise, look, if you beat Taylor, you'd want to fight Ramirez anyway, so you'd stay on uh, ESPN top rank. You could fight Gary Antoine Russell, but then you've got Switch Networks for that. I don't see him leaving top rank. I don't see him not fighting on ESPN because he found this out the hard way before. No one's trying to pay him any money. Yeah, that was the whole problem with the Combosus fight, right? They couldn't get the money he wanted. That was insane. Like <laughs> He wanted, what he want? Like $5 million to fight Combosus. And they were like, that money ain't there. The thing went to purse bids. The real numbers came out. And I don't think he's, he's recovered from that either. So I think these guys are... They're in danger of the star burning. Burning itself out. But... This happens in boxing all the time. One of those two guys is going to be an also-ran after this fight. Um, I hope they don't have that Indongo effect where you just go from being at the top of the tree to absolutely nowhere in no time at all and just getting dragged up in weight to get beaten up. I just want to switch gears for a second, right? The Ring Magazine have released their pound-for-pound rankings. Let me just read them off to you because I couldn't remember all of these, and it would have irritated me getting the order wrong, but Usyk number one, Inoue number two, Crawford three, Spence four, Canelo five, Bivol six, Lomachenko seven, Taylor eight, Baby Charlo nine, Javante Davis ten. In that order, like genuinely in that order, and you can ask me all sorts of questions about why I have an issue with it. So if we talk about a weight division, that has real depth, right? If you were to just name three, you'd say lightweight, just because of who's in there. You say welterweight because of the fight that needs to happen, and then you say light middle because that seems to be the deepest division in terms of like legitimate threats. Charlo's undisputed at 154 pounds. How the hell is Jamel Charlo not top five? Whereas Loma hasn't given us a signature win for a long time. It seems like Loma is just in there because people just go, yeah, got to put Loma in there. I feel the same way about Usyk. I don't believe Usyk has achieved more than Charlo. I don't think he's had to fight more killers than baby Charlo. Um, I don't believe he's had to fight more killers than Josh Taylor. I don't think he's had to fight more killers than Spence or Crawford. And I don't think he's been as dominant as someone like a Crawford has over his opponents. So all of these things, and this is why I don't really subscribe to pound for pound lists because they don't consider the proper criteria, which should be: who did you fight, how good were they, based on what they went on to do after you beat them, you know, how convincingly did you beat them? All these things should be a factor, but they never are. It's really just about well, who are my favourite fighters, and that that points to that feminine energy, that that need to to find. You know the next bogey man. That need to rank people. That need to to play hypotheticals, right? And that's not like I said. That's what the feminine side of boxing does. And it seems to be the hardcores, right? They, like you, there's got to be a lot of feminine energy about you to call yourself a hardcore. Like what the hell does that even mean? Like what is a hardcore boxing fan? What is it? What, you just sit there all day, every day, watching boxing? That's cool, but do you even understand what you're watching most of the time? The answer is no, because when you hear these supposed hardcore talk, it's mostly BS anyway. So my advice to people is just ignore these pound-for-pound pound lists. Ignore all of these people online. You'll do wonders for your mental health, because I, it's never made sense to me. Never, ever, ever made sense to me. I'll tell you what does make sense to me, though. Um, Eubank Jr. versus Liam Smith, the the sequel. I have no idea what they're calling it. It'll be some kind of repeat or revenge sort of thing, running it back. Don't know. Do not care. I'm just happy that these guys are going to do it because it made the most sense from a business perspective. This feels a bit like a, like a Tony Bell, you David Hay scenario again, where Liam Smith has found an easy target and he's just gone right. Let me make all the money I can off this and then maybe ride off into the sunset or one more cash out fight and then I'm done. I don't think you'll see Liam Smith fight more than once after this fight. Win, lose or draw. I'm, jeez. If you look at the first fight, Liam Smith won that fight easily. I don't think he was in trouble at all in that fight. There was nothing that Eubank did that Liam hadn't seen before. Liam has that sort of fundamentally sound style it's very basic it's very simple but because he's so good at it it's hard to beat a guy like that so you're not going to beat him doing all that that hibbity hop that Junior likes to do all that posing and fronting around you're not because Liam's going to give you the same Liam Smith in round 1 as he is in round 12 if you don't find a way to put a dent in him then he's going to grind you down. And that's what he did with you. He just ground him down. The fact that he seemed to be the stronger guy in there, he seemed to be the more focused and hungry guy in there, worried me. So I don't know if Junior can come back. I want him to come back, because I, I say this on so many occasions, I get bored of saying it. Junior's the best media operator boxing's had since deranged Mike Tyson, like cocaine Mike Tyson. In terms of, Knowing what to give the audience. Like, he'll never be like an Iron Mike, you know, the, the crazy interviews Mike used to give. He won't be like that. But in his own way, he's able to manipulate everything and, and direct the energy of the room where he wants it. It's a, it's a unique skill that he has, it's an incredible skill. And you could see that it still gets to Liam Smith that he can do that. Liam Smith can't understand why Eubank has no humility. And Eubank knows that, so he's doing that to get under Liam's skin in the hope that Liam will fight on emotion. But the problem Chris has is, can Chris box in a disciplined manner? Can he be focused? Can he be hungry? Can he stay in that concentration bubble for 180 seconds of a round? Because we're yet to see that from him. And I think to beat Liam Smith, Eubank Jr. has to be serious Eubank Jr. It has to be... The guy that can jab and throw backhands and throw those 7-8 punch combinations that, like he used to. All this, Like I said, this Roy Jones experiment was never the thing for him because he's not that sort of guy and he never will be. He should just be a bit more like he used to be and just grind Liam Smith down. Um, but I'm excited by this fight. This, this is looking like a good night out in Manchester. So if you're umming and ahhing about going, I would recommend that you go. So, as the card's shaping up, it's going to be Eubank versus Smith 2, headlining. Chief support will be uh French and Cruz Duzern versus Sav Marshall. We're going to have Natasha Jonas on there, I'm sure. You've got Zach Cheli versus Mark Heffron for the British Super Middleweight. Um, Huey Fury comes back, and I'm sure they'll add some more. I'd expect to see Callum Simpson boxing on that as well. Is Callum Simpson one of theirs? I always forget if he's on Sky or not. So if he's not, forgive me. But you'll get that kind of thing. um, Because, let's see, Joe G will have two on there. I'd imagine he'll sneak someone else in there as well to make it worth his while. But, is that a pay-per-view card? Whew. Eubank Smith as the main event, yes, because I think that will deliver. Chelly versus Heffron should be chief support. I don't care what anybody tells me. Chelly versus Heffron for a British super middleweight title fight would sell more tickets than Savannah Marshall versus Franchon Cruz Desert on the open market. No freebies. People having to pay hundred quid would rather see Heffron versus Chelly. Harsh reality, but true. Um, Jonas being so far down the card. Baffles me, but I guess until she can get at either Clarissa Shields or the fourth belt, there isn't really anything for her to do apart from water for now, right? But, I mean, that just gives her more time to build herself back up to the weight class, so credit where credit's due. But it's looking like a solid card. I still think they need something else in there with a bit of spice. I think you've got to start looking at, can you squeeze Fraser Clark against Wardley in there? If it's pay-per-view, you've got the budget for it, so why not? But let's touch on Franchon Cruz's discern versus Savannah Marshall. I tweeted this when it was announced, and I stand by this. That's the fight we should have got last year. We should have got that fight this time last year, and that would have rolled us neatly into Savannah Marshall versus Clarissa Shields because. You know that's a that's another opponent in common. All that sort of stuff. It builds a good story. But now look, you fought the best female boxer of all time, the the she's Muhammad Ali of women's boxing. All this sort of stuff you can say about Clarissa Shields, and you were soundly beaten. I like Savannah Marshall. I think Savannah Marshall is. Everything a good athlete should be. She's humble, hardworking, respected by her peers, all of that. But she lost easily against Clarissa Shields. And I stand on this. There is nothing Savannah Marshall can do in a million lifetimes that will be Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields has that thing, that concentration, that intensity, that that inner dog that doesn't get tired. I don't think Savannah Marshall has that, so she can't compete. I think she'll have an easier time against Franchon Cruz. The size won't affect her. Savannah Marshall's naturally bigger anyway. I think she'll have an easier time of it. I don't know if Franchon Cruz is refined enough to give Savannah Marshall problems. I think she's still pretty raw, but she's been that way from the start. Now, you'd like to see a bit more finesse to what she does. I don't know if that's in her. I like her her public profile. Everything about Franchon Cruz, I love. In-ring style, less so. It's still, like I said, it lacks refinement and she doesn't seem able to move through the gears. So we'll see that fight. I think Sav should win that and then she'll start talking about Clarissa Shields. But she'll only do that because there's no other fight for Savannah Marshall. That is the harsh reality. There's no other fight. You may as well retire. If you win this, and Shields says no to the fight, you may as well retire. If I'm Clarissa Shields, I'm looking at Natasha Jonas for a fight. I just think there's so much more money in that. There's you, You're going to bring a whole city. You could do that in Liverpool. Those two could headline. It will sell out. That would sell out because that would be a hell of an occasion. That would be a hell of a fight. Um, in terms of heffron Chelly, I think well from from a domestic perspective huge absolutely love that um that will bring out that'll bring out a fair few guys from Manchester, because that's where Hefron's from I think it's from Oldham and you know he he rolls with the sorts of guys who who love a a bit of a pint and a fight and a bit of boxing on top of that so yeah that that' be good. I'm just happy for Zach I'd like Zach to win the British if he can because He's had an extraordinary career. How old is Zach Chetty? He's still young. I don't think he's 25 yet. Maybe he's 25 now, but only just. And think of everything he's achieved, even all the setbacks he's had, and he's still going. And he's, uh, he's proof, along with Dan Aziz, of what happens when you persevere. When you believe in yourself and you persevere, this is exactly what happens. So credit to all of those guys. Um, Will I go up for that fight? Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Something I wanted to touch on was was the Sky interview with Anthony Joshua. Strange interview, by the way. Bear in mind how many times Anthony Joshua has spoken to Sky. Bear in mind the occasions we've seen, right? So Anthony Joshua, the the thrust of it is Anthony Joshua was saying, I'm not the most aggressive of people character-wise. I see myself as more of a thinker. So, when I'm boxing, I'm not a guy that's going to be super aggressive in the ring and try and take someone out. I want to box. I want to use my skills. I want to win with skill. Somebody save this man from himself. Please. Please. Were you Mr. Non-Aggressive when you were effing and blinding at Gerald Miller? Were you Mr. Carmen Placid when Gerald Miller stormed the press conference When they get up I go on When they get up I go on right? If the yes. yeah. yeah. they get up I go on right? If the yes. yes. yeah. they get up, this is all good, buddy. This is all good. All right, boys. All right, boys. Neil, Neil. Neil. Thank you, gentlemen. That's everyone. Please be seated. Hey! 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 Keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself. AJ, away. Come on. Come on. Keep your hands to yourself. AJ, away. Touch the tape. Keep your hands to yourself. John. John. Okay. Away. Okay. I always go back to what I felt at the time, where you almost felt that Joshua was cooked up for a certain kind of fan. The, uh, you know. You know the one, like if this was back in the two thousands, they'd read Zoo and Nuts. They'd buy both for sixty and sixty five pence each, and I mean that was their entertainment on a lonely Sunday night. And they're the sort of people that Joshua was created for. He was also created for for women who needed a reason to to watch sport on TV. He was never created for for boxing fans, really, for people who appreciate the art because he's never shown anything of himself to say. Here's a guy we can get behind, you know. You can't you can't go off uh, a half cooked Dillian White and an aging Klitschko and say right this proves that this guy is really world level. And you never got the impression Joshua was a tough guy, you never did. And I've been I've been ha- I've been hammering this point for ages. And the key quote was, I had to learn how to fight in case I went to jail. And I was like, he ain't tough. And I said it then. I think the episode was like September 10th or something. I said it then, he's not tough. He's, he's, he's not the man that Hearn's trying to tell you he is. What Hearn's doing is projecting his issues and saying, I want Joshua to be my version of a superhero. Now, if you've been around real-life superheroes, you'll know Anthony Joshua is not one of those. And that's why the Jerrell Miller situation was interesting because much like Dominic Brazil, Joshua thought he could bully these guys. He thought they're not on his level, so he can bully them a little bit, and he can try and put that street dynamic, or that street energy onto them. But his isn't real, and you can tell when he talks, because it's almost like he, at various points, he tries to suppress the weed-dealing side, and then he tries to suppress the, the kid that went to a good school in Nigeria for a bit, and learned a lot of good habits there, and maybe a kid who went to an okay school in Watford. And he tries to, to suppress all of these at different times. And there are times where he gets his timing off. And so the wrong one comes out at the wrong time. If you remember, when he tried to bully the students at Loughborough, never tried that with Dillian. If you think about it, when Dillian said, I mean, you're a fake thug from Watford, whoever it is he said, Joshua wasn't going to challenge that. Because that would involve actually having to, to be the thing you're claiming and he isn't, and I think what you're seeing now with Joshua is a public demonstration of imposter syndrome where he's now going, am I really at this level what the hell do you mean you need 8 months you held 3 belts plus the IBO belt you were fighting twice a year how can you need 8 months to learn how to do what you've been doing your whole career how I don't understand this 2017, you were ready to fight Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder has suffered a number of defeats since then. And you are less confident now than you were then. Why are you not saying, I'll fight Deontay Wilder anytime, anywhere, I could train myself and do it? Where's that confidence gone? Where's that unbreakable Anthony Joshua gone? Where's Femi gone? That's actually really sad to see when you see that that decline when you're no longer to able to do what you could do mentally. The, the, the example I can think of when it comes to Anthony Joshua's Deli Alley, where there was a period where you thought we might have found something here. And then all we've seen is a progressive decline. And it's only now that it's got so bad that we really notice it. But the decline was happening at Tottenham under Poch. And Mourinho exposed it. You're lazy. Maybe you don't enjoy it so much. But I am worried about Anthony Joshua. I'm worried about his mental well-being above all else. Like, I don't think he enjoys boxing. This is a job for him now. The problem is, for while, I don't believe it is a job. I think it's a calling. It's a vocation. It's the only thing he has. And if he fights Anthony Joshua in this state, I, I genuinely think he could wipe the floor with him. Because if you go back, like... Uh, what they used to call them, matchroom FC. Not as vociferous about AJ now because now they've realized he's not a tough guy. How are you talking all this intellectual thing? I'm a thinker in the ring. Maybe I overthink. Then don't be a professional fighter then. Like you're not meant to overthink. Your job is to do what you're trained to do. You're like an assassin. Go and do your job. So we can overanalyze the psychology behind it. I think the very simple term is this guy is going through a real crisis of confidence and identity. And I think the sooner he makes peace with who he is, both in and out the ring, and the sooner he understands that he's going to have to live his truth at some point, the easier his life will be, and potentially the easier his career will be. But I just found that super weird that you're coming out in the media talking about this stuff and basically admitting you're not a tough guy. Because, wow. If you've ever seen big men in a room, like in the amateurs, you get to the game, you see all the big guys. They're always sizing each other up. And they've always got this energy, like, it can kick off now, we don't need to be in the ring. Because when you're a big guy, you want to be the biggest guy in that Alexander Palace, because you're the 91 plus, or it's 92 plus now, but you're the giants You know, all those sorts of guys. Six foot eight guys, 21 stone. Those big lumps walk around and they have to believe they are the man in there. And then they jump in the ring and prove it. And Joshua used to do that. But i come back to my Teofimo point. You can go a long way when you've got a point to prove. You can go a long way when you're fighting demons. You can go a long way When all you want to do is have enough money that you don't have to work again. You can do some crazy things. But once you get those things, once that's no longer the driving force, it can get incredibly empty. And we're seeing that with Anthony Joshua. Because this idea that he's soft isn't true. Like I saw him take people's heads off in the amateurs. And people say, anyone can do that. I've only ever seen one other heavyweight who could do demolition jobs like that on super heavyweights and that was Daniel Dubois who could do a proper demolition job on someone in the amateurs. Joshua was laying waste to people that no one had laid waste to. So you've got to give him credit for that. And then... Once he won the gold medal, once he started getting the money, once once this became a business thing, once he started talking in in terms of just fucking triangles and all that dumb stuff, once he started to fixate on that, once he tried to become the boxing philosopher, you knew the hunger had gone. That thing that was in him was gone. And all he's done ever since, and this is probably pre-Andy Ruiz, all he's done ever since is try and rediscover that, and he can't. But let's see here, we can just pivot to to two men who are the antithesis of Anthony Joshua right now. Joe Calzaghi and Carl Froch. I just want to talk about this briefly. This is the problem you have when people don't fight when they're supposed to. Until those guys are in the ground, six feet deep, we're going to keep hearing that one would have beaten the other, right? And there's never going to be a conclusive answer because, and I say this with no fear and not bothered about what anyone says on social media. Joe Calzaghe has one of the softest records in boxing history, like genuinely soft record for what he claims. That whole forty-six and zero. So he's fought forty-six times, right? People struggle to name ten people he fought unless they jump on Boxrec. You go right: Eubank, Reed, Lacy. And then you go, Jones, Hopkins, Kessler. That's pretty much it. And Hopkins and Jones, old. Kessler never that good to begin with. Eubank was was he? Had, he had one and a half feet out the game already. Robin Reed, people think Robin won. I'm not necessarily sold on that. And you compare his record with Carl, where Carl went head to head with every one of his era in their prime. With the exception of Jean Pascal, but I'm not allowed to talk about that because Porky will show up here with an axe. So we won't, we'll say no more about that. But Carl, I don't think you can question Carl's record. Carl was in there with guys who I would say at their peak were the equal of Calzaghe. I think I think Calzaghe would have struggled against the Jermaine Taylor. I think Calzaghe struggles against Ward all day. I think... Um, Someone like Darrell would give him problems. Not saying he'd beat him, but he'd give him problems. There are a lot of guys that would have given Joe problems in that era because it was a deeper era when Carl was around. Just my opinion on it. So when they talk, Carl's a more deserving Hall of Famer than Joe, in my opinion. That's what I'd say. Not an anti-Walsh thing, not an anti-Joe thing. You can just remember Frotch fights. He gave fans moments that I don't think Joe did. I think Joe kind of had a career... I think Carl delivered moments and actually built a legacy. So I, and that's what you got to respect about Carl. And so when those two go at it, I'm always on the side of Carl because I genuinely think Carl would have done anything he could to make that fight happen. And then there's a counter argument, which is well, he never tried to make the fight happen with DeGale. <laughs> Valid. But can you have them all? I don't know. You that would have completed the set for me, which was unfortunate, but. Like I said, there's another guy who would have given Joe hell, James Gale. So I don't know. I wish those two would do, even if it was just an exhibition, just get it done so we don't have to hear about it again. So the last thing I want to talk about is... And this is kind of boxing nerd ammo, isn't it? So it looks like the Boxing News and ID Boxing have merged. One's acquired the other. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. But... Let me summarise what I understand from this. There is a company called KHI Investments. Anyone who knows about them, feel free to message me and tell me. But I'm always suspicious of a company you can't readily trace. But when I'm hearing that they're the financial backers behind ID Boxing, there's a red flag there because number one, you've got a ragtag bunch of people who don't have a clue about anything. These are those forum junkies. That is what they are. Tebbit and the rest of that crowd are just forum junkies, right? The people who love to talk about fantasy matchups and nerd out about stuff, but they don't really go to boxing because that would require leaving the house and they're not those kinds of people. Tebbit's a failed actor, couldn't even make it as an extra. These are facts. So you'd imagine with a performing background, Tebbit would be a better on-screen presence, but he's not. And then you've got Boxing News, who seemingly don't realize the internet exists, right? This would be simple. They don't realize the internet exists. I remember when Boxing News used to do a podcast before I ever did one. And their audio quality was awful. There was no mix down. There was no attempt to try and compress the sound to make it look as if you were within a mile of your microphone. There was nothing. It It was sloppy. It was lazy. It was parish council type business, right? And they were like, well, we'll just have a go at it. And all these years later, it was equally as terrible. There was no investment in actually creating a product. They've never invested in a digital product. They tried to do the subscription thing. Um, That didn't work. I think I subscribed for a bit. It just didn't work for me. I'd I'd look at that and go, well, the difference between acquiring it physically and acquiring it digitally isn't that much. So I'm just going to go and buy it. In fact. Now I'm not even going to buy it anymore because clearly this isn't good value. And so you've watched the boxing news decline. And this is something I've read for over 20 years. I used to be in Fitzroy Lodge or Mick and we'd read it. And like, there'd always be something we could talk about. And I think it's lost its relevance now because so much that happens in boxing is immediate. Boxing news happens on Twitter. Boxing interviews happen on YouTube and on podcasts, right? And the fights happen on TV. Or they happen live. So no one is waiting around for a week to hear what person X has to say. And I speak as someone who's been in the boxing news. And that's one of my proudest moments when I did my interview for the boxing news. I loved it. But they never cracked digital. I've never been on the Boxing News website. I'm sure it's behind a paywall. God knows why. Um, Podcast, who listens to that anymore? Are they even a presence on YouTube? No. So the Boxing News was essentially a badly run business. And I don't say that because I quite like Matt Christie. Um, Used to like John Denon when he was there. Nicky Bond is a guy we know from The Lodge. They're all good people, by the way. Good boxing people, sound journalistic skills. They're competent. But they needed someone who had the vision to say, look, we need to take this online, and that means that we need someone in the field. Get the investment, we'll accumulate whatever costs, because had you had the boxing news asking Eddie Hearn questions, I think you, you would have had a perfect antidote to IFL. Because the boxing news could have just asked the institutional questions, like, well, what do the fans want to know? And that could have been the profile. But I've also said to people on numerous occasions, when you rely on access for your revenue, there's only so far you can push. Now enter ID Boxing. So ID Boxing is an amalgamation of just failure. Whether they failed at Behind the Gloves, they failed at Boxing Social, they failed at, oh, I don't even know what the other guy, what Faruqi was doing. But they've all failed, right? So they've gone, right, but we're all failures. And if we aggregate these failures, we will somehow get to a point of success. Okay? And so clearly they've run off and got some money. Um, and I have no issue with that. Cool, do your thing, get your money. So you go off there and you get your money. But go and look at the product, the ID Boxing product. Um, they took over one of their accounts, this is Ben Faruqi. Um, having just tracked their numbers recently, it looks like they bought a few followers to seem more credible than they are. And that's okay, cool. Do You, you mean, you've mean you got to hustle to hustle. But if you look at their YouTube videos, if I had numbers like that, I'd have just shut the channel down. I have no idea what YouTube pay per thousand views, what that CPM is. Let's just say it's 10p per thousand views, right? Is it 10p per thousand? Yeah, it can't be a quid. It'd be about 10, let's just say it's 10p per thousand views. These guys are getting 6,500 views for a video. So you've got up, (laughs) you ain't even paid for your travel. (laughs) He didn't even pay for the oyster. <laughs> Imagine waking up one day and you know you've got to spend 30 quid of your own money for 6,500 views. This is why men are more at risk of suicide than women. Most women would have just been like, what am I wasting my time for? These numbers don't make any sense. And like they seem to be the good videos. Here's what I find weird though, the stuff that has them as on-air personalities seems to have outsized numbers compared to everything else. And if you remember on Boxing Social this was the same thing and I always say you're going to catch people in a vanity trap. And Teb has fallen into this vanity trap twice, first time in the lockdown. When his podcast with Coogan Cassis went from like 86,000 to like 186,000. Like a year after it had been released. Almost as if people went, yeah, he spoke to Coogan a year ago. I'm going to go and revisit that like his current news, right? And so when you look at ID box when they do their round table stuff, those numbers look cooked to high heaven. Because you never see on social media, no one ever clips it. No one ever shares it. No one ever talks about it. But it does more numbers than some of the Eddie Hearn interviews. So I'm like, do I have to start looking at these numbers again and question if these guys are cooking the books? Let me not say too much about that. But in essence, this is the blind leading the blind. Boxing's a declining sport. I say it every year. The average age of a boxing fan goes up every year. They're not the most tech savvy. They are time sensitive because... They work. That's one of the reasons this pod does so well. I, I'm i in a position, because I do audio, you can listen to me when you're going somewhere. You can listen to me in those times when you have the capacity to both listen and do what you're doing. You don't need to look at a screen. That's why I don't go to screens, because people, people are precious about their time. But I know if you've got a 30-minute drive a 30 minute tube journey, a 30 minute flight, whatever you've got, I've got you. You want to listen. It doesn't work that way, but I look at my numbers. This is a declining market. So if you go back to the boxing social heyday when they were doing six figure views for guys like Eddie Hearn, and we were being told people People love the on-air personalities. They love the guys who are asking the questions. Okay, so where have all those 100,000 views gone? They haven't gone to ID Boxing, have they? Michelle Joy Phelps can give or take Boxing. She doesn't care that much anymore. So none of this makes any sense. So I look at Boxing News and I go, you're literally partnering up with a guy or a team. That are going to deliver the numbers you would have got anyway if you had just done it yourself. If you had just been bothered to get a camera and pay someone like Dan Parker for a week to teach you how to do it yourselves. You could have done all this. They could get those numbers today. ID Boxing do Porky Russ numbers. And Russ is one man. He's a one man army. Boxing News, with the right marketing, could have done this themselves. The question is, why did they never do this? And this is a lesson. When you hire safe pairs of hands, they're going to go down with the ship. And these guys went down with the ship. Imagine you're so bad that Rob Tebbit can buy you out. That's, that's, that's the equivalent of Professor Stephen Hawking teaching you how to run. Like, what the hell? Rob Tebbett is going to tell Boxing News how to be Boxing News. And, like, this is the only way that rat could have got into Boxing News. Imagine that. Like, oh yeah, I'm just going to buy Boxing News. Now I can say I'm part of Boxing News. I won't touch Boxing News now because it confirms everything I thought about that organization that it's washed. It's washed. What's going to happen now? Oh, well, now that we're boxing news, we're going to quadruple our numbers. But like I said to you, these guys are spending 30, 40 quid for 6,500 views. For 6,500 views. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Nobody cares what they have to say. Harsh but true. Harsh but true. I always hear, and like Porky says, it. I don't know why the fuck he keeps saying it, or Rob Tevitt's a good interviewer, he, sometimes he can't help but kiss people's asses. I know he'll pull me up for saying that, and I love Russ with all my heart. I really do. But sometimes I wish he he could just stand on his principles and go, these guys are clowns. But he can't find it in him. But, I mean, he needs to start embracing. These guys are clowns. They can't do what he does. And I wish he didn't hero worship these people because they're not as good as he is. That's a one-man army who's doing numbers that they'd be jealous of. Not only that, he's a creative guy as well. Like, he's done stuff. Like, who'd have thought about the billboards? Like, he's done stuff. He's done takedown pieces. He's gone after people. They could have had someone like Russ at Boxing News. He'd have taken it. Well, that would have been carnage. But he'd have, he'd have definitely got them online for sure. So I look at this ID Boxing thing. And I look at it from a business perspective and I go, is the whole greater than the sum of their parts? And the answer is no. Because no one cares about the print magazine. It's outdated by the time it's released. There's nothing in there of interest. Because whatever interview you've had with the boxer, the guy's been on IFL numerous times. Like We've got most boxers' life stories because of boxing, social, behind the gloves and whatever. We've got that. Add it to social media. There's not much you're going to tell me in a magazine I don't already know. So from a print perspective, useless. Boxing journalists are done. That's why Steve Buntz is on TV. That's why Steve Buntz is on podcasts. Boxing journalism is done. Nobody cares. This new generation who don't even remember guys like John Thaxton, who don't remember guys like Crawford Ashley, this new generation don't care about journalists. To, th- to them, I'm a journalist, and I'm not even there. So that whole boxing news side is, is done. So then we look at the digital side. Do ID Boxing have the biggest boxing website? Probably not. Biggest online presence? Definitely not. Most interesting characters in the sport? Nowhere near. So, what's the upside here? At least they get to bury that stupid name ID Boxing. That's essentially it. It feels like someone just needed a way to make some money disappear. That's what this feels like. Knowing full well you're going to make a loss, And you just write it down somewhere else and go, look, (laughs) we gave these clowns some money to go and buy the boxing news. We're going to depreciate that over 10 years. We massively overpaid so we can depreciate it on this side. That means the tax money ain't going to bother us. Cool. And that's what it was. Like, let's just find some, some numb nuts and just do that. So if you ask me how this movie ends... Expect someone else to try and buy the boxing news or expect to see the end of the boxing news. But these guys will never, they'll never grow it because Coogan has no incentive to let them grow it. And he'll go after them aggressively. But maybe you'll see that all merged together IFL, ID, boxing, boxing news all merged together behind the gloves and it'll become one thing. And it might just become boxing TV. That wouldn't be a bad thing, actually. If you just amalgamated all of this, I think that would be pretty good because then you've got scale, right? At the moment, Eddie's gift is this. He can go to Rack Noble, whatever Rack's doing. He can go to Rack Noble, interview there, knowing that Rack's grateful for the access. He can go to Michelle Joy Phelps, do that there, great, great, knowing that she's grateful for the access. Go over to Charlie Parsons for Boxing Social, knowing that he's grateful for the access. Same with Tebbett. And then Coogan kind of gets his favours because he's been there from the start. Fantastic. As long as Hearn knows they all need him. And it works for him because if 10 outlets kind of have Eddie Hearn as a tweet, he'll trend towards the top. Excuse me. If these all amalgamated into one entity, and it's like, Eddie, if you want to get your voice across to the fans... You've either got to go through your own channel, Matchroom, or you come through this channel here. Now you've got more power. Now you can have harder conversations, tougher conversations. And so her knows as long as these guys are competing for, <laughs> for the crumbs that are boxing viewership, because like I said, there's no money in this. At some point we'll hear that they're sponsored by some other company we're suspicious about, but so what, man? You're, you're having to divide two, three grand a month between like eight of you. It's worse than minimum wage. So I don't think it's gonna be a success because it hasn't got successful people behind it. This is literally um donkeys led by lambs. That's what this is. But I wish them all the best. Good luck with it. If they can revive boxing, fantastic. I, I just think we're we're well past that. I think that's probably a good place to to shut that door. I mean <laughs> Six and a half thousand views. (laughs) You guys take care, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye.